celebrity Let your weary mind be free And someone kind of famous who you can't see It's time for sleeping with celebrity Hello, sleepyheads, and welcome to Sleeping with Celebrities. I'm John Moe, and I'm glad you're here. Tonight, we'll be sleeping with Jonathan Katz. He starred in the groundbreaking animated series Dr. Katz, Professional Therapist, and his practice was notable for its surfeit of hilarious patients, many of whom are household names as comedians with successful careers of their own. Jonathan is the host of the Hey, We're Back podcast, and he's an actor and writer, and someone whose voice sounds familiar to you. Table tennis is is a very different game than ping pong. Before all that, I invite you to settle in and get comfortable while I tell you about another show on the Maximum Fun Network. Sleepyheads. I wish to tell you about another podcast here on the Maximum Fun Network, where we have the maximum amount of fun. This one is called Fanti. Hosts and journalists Jarrett Hill and Travell Anderson have complex and complicated conversations about the gray areas of pop culture and politics in our lives. Sometimes they are fans, sometimes they are anti. Together they are fanti. The show offers insights into the hosts' lives with a large dose of humor. They also feature weekly honorable and dishonorable mentions, stories or people that caught Jarrett and Travell's attention each week that deserve a call-out either for how good they are, or how they are, in fact, stupid. Fanti is available at MaximumFun.org or any place that you get your podcasts. And now, let's tuck ourselves in for Jonathan Katz. Jonathan, thank you for sleeping with us this evening. Oh, my pleasure. I, I couldn't think of anyone I'd rather sleep with. Thank you. We like to get people in the sleep mindset by asking guests right here towards the top of the show about their own sleep habits. Do you practice good sleep hygiene? Uh, no, I don't. I, I'm ashamed to say. I I stay up much too late watching TV. Mm. I check my phone too often. Mm. So the answer is no, I don't, I don't practice good sleep hygiene. What's the best night of sleep you've ever had? It involved a medication called Tylenol PM, which mm. is an over over the counter medication, which is so powerful. You you not only can you fall asleep, you can stay asleep. On the other hand, it messes with your circadian rhythms. I was thinking of your peristalsis system. Do you know what that is? No. Uh, me either. Damn it. No, it has to do with your ability to pee. Okay. Um, All right. I think active ingredient is um, Benadryl. Okay. Is there a position that you normally sleep in? I sleep on my side. Okay. Um, 
sadly, it's only one side I can sleep on. It's weird, just a weird phenomenon in my life. And next to me is my wife of 41 years. Does anyone snore? I think I might. So what is the first thing, either the earliest thing or the most important thing, for someone to know about the history of table tennis? It's long. It has a very long and winding history. Mm. It, it, it involves more than one continent. Oh. Well, let's start with one of the continents then. Okay. And, and uh, table tennis is comparable to the game of ping pong, which is a game that most people play in their basements. Mm. And that game, that game began in 1928 in England, and it was a parlor game for women, and it was called Whiff-Waff. 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 Yeah. And how did that become ping pong? I'm guessing somebody noticed the sound that the ball made, and it, mm. it seemed like a very natural transition. Mm. You know, I have my own personal history in this in the game of table tennis. I was, which is not that boring. I have to warn you, I was okay. a New York. I was the New York State champion in 1964. Wow, how is how how was that decided? Was there a tournament? Yeah, I was considered to go to China in that ping pong diplomacy thing. Mm. But but I chose to go to college instead. Was this um, so? This was table tennis and ping pong. Are are these not synonymous terms? Do they not mean the same thing? They they do, except to table tennis players. I am a table mm. tennis player. I, I, I'm a retired table tennis player. I can no longer play. Um, but I I was a defensive player. Oh. What does that mean? It means I stood behind the table and I I tried to absorb the pace of my opponent. Mm. And I spent many, many hours and dollars putting different surfaces on a table tennis bat, which is really what a table tennis racket is called. Bat. Yeah. All right. What sparked your initial interest in the sport? Uh are you familiar with the 92nd Street Y in New York City? I know that there are literary events held there. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's become an in, kind of interesting place. But when I was a kid, I lived on, on 90th and Lex, two blocks away from there. Mm -hmm. And I would get picked on as a kid. And my father enrolled me in the local martial arts academy, the 92nd Street Y, where once a week I would get beaten in a more formal setting. Mm -hmm. But while I was in... While I, was in, while I was in the locker room, I heard these two guys talking about a place. Uh, because I could play ping pong at the at the 92nd Street Y, but they talked about a place on 96th and Broadway, which was run by a guy named Marty Reisman, who was a two-time U.S. champion and competed on the world stage, was a, just an extraordinary player and hustler. Mm. Um and so I went. I went to his place with my mom. Uh, we on the Crosstown bus, and I introduced myself. And Marty offered to play me for money. He always had to have. I was a little kid, and he wanted to. He wanted to challenge me to a money match, and I would use my racket, 
and he would use a chess piece. Oh. And he beat me. With a chess piece. Yeah, but he became my my guru in table tennis. And just a guy I admired just as a he was referred to the referred to as the Danny Kay of table tennis. What does that mean? I don't know. All right. No, just just he was very entertaining, you know, as he was a player and also an entertainer and kind of a charming guy. What are some of the hustles that you saw the Danny Kay of table tennis pull off? Well, there was a very dramatic change in the game of table tennis, and I think it happened in the 50s when the game went from just a hard rubber racket being the standard, and which is what Marty played with till the very end of his life. He's now the late Marty Reisman, and what I played with as a young man. And then all of a sudden, uh, a guy named Sato, a Japanese player, developed this racket that had sponge Mm. And that really changed the game. It became, it gave the advantage much more to the offensive players. Why is that? Because the game, it sped up the game enormously. Mm. But the, at the same time, there were guys developing different surfaces that would favor defensive players like myself. One was called Phantom, which I used. How did how did a cushioned racket or paddle or bat speed up the game, I would think that it would absorb the impact of the ball and slow things down. No, it had the opposite effect. It just, I don't know why it accelerated it, but, you know, when you attack with table tennis, as in, I think as in with actual tennis, um, the, the reason you can hit the ball very hard, and some people more than 100 miles an hour, mm. is that the, as the ball is spinning, it's creating a vacuum under the ball, and it tends to sink. So you can hit the ball very hard, and it will sink in a very short time, striking the table. Hmm. And so w did did Marty coach you? As Did he take you on as a pupil? Not formally. I just watched him play, and he noticed that I had developed a very fine defense at one point. And um, I, too, started hustling people younger than me. I'm not proud of that. but And I think one of my oldest friends I met through the world of table tennis. Yeah? Who's that? A guy named David Levine, who is the only friend of mine who has met both, my, both of my parents. My mom died very young, but he met my father and my mother, and we remained friends. Hmm. How does... a uh how does table tennis hustling work? Do you? I'm familiar with the Paul Newman movies about billiards hustling, but uh, how does how does how do you pull off the con? Well, and this is something I, I would do with David Mamet when when uh, he was when we were both living in Chicago. We would go to um, a college campus, like the wherever the ping pong table was. Mm. And David was my shill. Mm. So he would lose to the guys mm. for money. Mm. And then we would win our money back by me playing the same guys. Oh. 
and sometimes I would I would I would offer to give them like a a fifteen point advantage in a game of twenty one. Mm. And during every point, I had to recall some painful experience from my adolescence. Why is that? Oh, I made that part up, but no, but no, but but when having never seen you play table tennis or ping pong, mm. in in those days, I would have offered you between fifteen and 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 eighteen points in a game to twenty one. So confident you were. So would. David Mamet then defeat you in a game, and then you yes. would challenge the others. I see. Yes, that's how it worked. I'm sorry, I lost my footing there. Right, right. When he would speak to the uh, college students, would he do so in short declarative sentences laced with profanity? No. Okay. That's he, only he in his playwriting. Yeah, he hadn't got there yet. Is well, I don't know. Just thinking about that. He'd speak to me like that, but... Mm. Did you ever have to deal with anyone wanting to wanting to fight after they realized they'd been hustled? That happened more in billiards than in table tennis. I also tried to hustle people in pocket billiards. Mm. This was also in Chicago? No, this was in New York on 79th and Broadway. There was a great pool hall there in 76th and Broadway. As well. Okay. Do we know when table tennis was actually invented? Was there a Mr. William Table Tennis who invented it or something? You know, it wasn't a moment in time. It was just like a um it was the formation of the of the US Table Tennis Association. Mm-hmm. Somebody noticed that that there were ping pong play, players and there were table tennis players and there were tournaments all over the country and all over the world where people could develop from young age, from a young age. Mm-hmm. I started playing in tournaments when I was about 12 or 13. My dad would drive me from New York to Bridgeport, Connecticut, where once a month I would lose to Joey Klein. Mm. And then I finally beat him, and that was like a great moment for me. So it, there's a axiom among fiddle players that uh, it's called a, a fiddle when you buy it, and it's called a violin when you sell it. But it's essentially the same instrument. Um, is there is there a difference in between ping pong and table tennis? No, I like that expression though, because I, I used to I used to play the violin and I pawned it, but. The game is fundamentally the same. The rules are the same. It's just, you know, you might see in a playground somewhere, you might see a couple of kids playing tennis. Mm -hmm. And then you have to go to an arena to see professional tennis players. And it was the same thing, but on a smaller scale with table tennis. Mm -hmm. The only way you can make a living in table tennis was to travel to Europe and become part of a, of a team, like for another country. American players couldn't make a living. Is there, is there, or was there an active professional league, team based in Europe? Then yes, yes. And the Scandinavians, the game was was dominated for the most part by Asians, mm. who would hold a racket using the pen holder style, 
This is this is the Western grip. What I'm doing now. Okay, could you describe that in in audio terms of the Western grip? You know how you hold a gun, right? No, I've seen it done. Yes. I don't know. Can you see, can you get a good enough view of of how I'm holding the racket? Yeah, you're you're holding it as if you were uh, playing a toy gun sort of thing. Well, this is this is my backhand drive. This All is right. my forehand drive, and this is my defensive strokes on the backhand side and on the forehand side. Am um, I imagining then the ping pong or table tennis bat between your thumb and forefinger? Is this where yeah. the handle is? I see. Yeah. And the Asians developed something called the pen holder style, where they would hold it like, oh, I'm actually going to hold a pen. All right. <laughs> they would hold it like this. Mm. And which gave them a certain advantage, and also there were disadvantages, but they dominated the game for years until the Scandinavians came along. What was the innovation of the Scandinavians? Uh, they developed this very high lobbing defense. Instead of chopping the ball, they would hit it just very high in the air, and that's kind of a contemporary style. If you look on YouTube at table tennis videos, you'll see defensive players both chopping the ball and then looping it very high. And the Scandinavians were the ones that perfected that style, Sweet Swedish people in particular. Was it because they had longer arms and a better reach to catch the, the ball higher? As you may recall, sleepyheads, we recently held our annual Max Fun Drive here at Maximum Fun, and I am happy to report that here on Sleeping with Celebrities, we surpassed our goal. We shattered it, smashed it gently and quietly to small pieces. The news is likewise good for the Maximum Fun Network. In fact, Maximum Fun reached our highest milestone possible during the drive, and so, as promised, we're creating a Max Fun Foley library full of sound effects from your favorite hosts. The entire Max Fun community will be able to use it. And so we ask, what sounds would you like this Foley library to feature? People high fiving, walking through mud or snow, a chicken clucking, a jazz kazoo? A kangaroo in silent contemplation. These are all ideas. You might have your own. In fact, we hope you do. Head to MaximumFun.org slash Foley. That's MaximumFun.org slash F-O-L-E-Y to submit your ideas. And thank you. Was it because they had longer arms and a better reach to catch the, the ball higher? No, I don't think that had anything to do with it. Hmm. I think just one day some guy discovered that it was an effective way to compete. And I'm leaving out a really important development. I apologize. Something something called the loop. Ooh. And this was introduced, it was introduced, I think, probably by Europeans. And it was where... And it wasn't the speed of the ball that you were attacking with. It was, it was how fast it was rotating. Mm. 
and it was almost impossible to handle if you for like if you just hit it with the bat it would go flying and that's part of why they developed different surfaces for defensive players that could absorb that that topspin mm. when you when you were playing in New York City and you were you were young you talked about how you missed the chance to go to China to play table tennis because right. you went to college instead. Do you regret going to college? No. I went to Goddard College in Vermont, which was almost like not going to college. It was, but it was just a wonderful time. Mm. Did you play table tennis in college? I did. I, in fact, I put together a team, and we took on, we played a college called Franconia, which was in, in New Hampshire, I think. Mm. We defeated them. I'm still in touch with some of the members of that team. And Mamet was a member. What was the name of the team? We didn't have a name, but one of the things that happened as a result as a result of that team, because Goddard College was paying me to coach that team, and a woman named Jane Israel, and I want to mention her name, she got me fired from Goddard. Oh, no. Why? Because she didn't think it was right that Goddard was spending money on a guy who was teaching essentially a ping-pong class. Mm. Were you a student at this point? or I was still a student. Okay. And I also stayed in the town of Plainfield, Vermont, after I was a graduate. I started in 1965, and I finished in 1971. You graduated in, in four years and then hung out? I, it took me more than four years to graduate. Mm. You know, the tenure program. Yeah, it was on, and also it was on the trimester system, Goddard. What did you study? I studied theater and music. Mm. But the whole trick at Goddard was to just describe what you were doing and make it sound like you really were a student. You know, you yeah. could run around the parking lot once a week and call it physical fitness. That's an easy way to go. Um, what are some of the other names of the players on your team? Yeah. Um, Tom, Tom Kalanya, we're still okay. good friends. Jerry Rappaport, I think he played on the team. Okay. That's about it? Yeah, it wasn't a big team. Okay. I, I want to get back to when you uh, said... Uh, that the game was originally called uh, Wiff Waff. And right. I, th I think about Wiff Waff and the ping pong um, and then table tennis, which is at least uh, alliterative. There's, there's, they're all alliterative names describing essentially the same thing. And it makes me think of how different languages describe the sound that a rooster makes in different ways. And I'd like to read you some of these and tell me which one you think is the most accurate for a rooster. Okay. Okay. So in English, we have cock-a-doodle-doo. In Finnish, it's kuko-kieku. In French, koko-riku. In German, kikariki. In Hebrew, kuku-riku. In Hungarian, Kukuriku, Japanese, Koki Kokko, 
and Portuguese cucuruku. Do any of those sound more accurate than others? My sister lives in Puerto Rico, and, and I have been awakened many times by roosters. Mm-hmm. And I think cockadoodle-doo also translates to Puerto Rico. Oh, interesting. Yeah. We're the only language that seems to employ the letter L. The doodle. The doodle. Yeah. I'm wondering if you can share with us some of the scholarships, some of the uh, the bound volumes of table tennis history that you have in your possession. Well, I have a book called The History of Table Tennis, written by a guy named Tim Bogan, who, he was older than me, mm. but a lot of my contemporaries are in this book, and it's also, I'm in this book, oddly enough. Oh, this looks like a a very long book. Yeah, it has almost 500 pages, and this is volume six. So this guy, Tim Bogan, who wrote this, he taught fiction writing at mm. some college on Long Island, but his real love was this game. So that's volume six. What periods of table tennis history does that cover? This covers from 1970 to 1973. Okay. And I was, I was very active at that time. Can I read you some of what it says about me? I would like that. This is from the History of Table Tennis, Volume 6, years 1970 through 1973. And I can tell you while, while I'm looking for it that I used to put carry my, my racket on my bat in a little black doctor's bag, which I still own. While you look, I'm going to tell people about the about other languages and the sounds that they think ducks make. In Danish, rap, rap. In English, of course, quack, quack. Estonian, prak, prak. French, quan, quan. German, quack, quack. Although the publication I'm reading spells their quacks without a C. Hungarian, hop, hop. Italian, qua qua, Romanian, mac mac, Spanish, qua qua, and Turkish, vak vak. The repetition seems pretty important. You know, they're not a long-winded creature, but they 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 brief they're brief and to the point. Yeah, they're they're they have emphasis to what they're saying. David Mamet, whose name I keep bringing up, wrote a book called Duck, a play called Duck Variations. Mm-hmm. And I was supposed to, to take a role in that in a theater in Cambridge, Massachusetts, but I couldn't memorize my lines. Oh. I think I'm close. I feel like I'm getting close. This was the... A 1972 play by Mamet, which depicts a discussion taking place between two elderly men sitting on a park bench watching ducks. Right. After I was in college, also as a theater major, a friend of mine, I went to uh, Whitman College, which is like the Goddard College of Southeastern Washington State. And um, a friend of mine and I 
had an idea that we would meet in Seattle and perform the duck variations, having both memorized one of the two parts and do it as a spontaneous event, having not rehearsed the play, but memorizing the play. And as time went on, we forgot all about that plan and never did it. Oh, what a great idea that was. Yeah. It was a lot of work, though. David was was offered a job in, in Bennington, Vermont, and he and I went there um, to see a production of a play by Chekhov. The Cherry Orchard? Yeah. And there was a character in that play named named Yaakov. And every time they mentioned the name Yaakov, David and I started giggling. Okay, here I am. I'm going to try to show you the picture of me because it looked very different. Okay, let me take a look. Oh, yeah, that's you in in black. Yeah, and I have a beard. You have a beard. You look a little like Donald Fagan. Or like General Zod from the first Superman movie. (laughs) So I was about to play a guy named Surasak. And it says Surasek is also having troubles with New York's Jonathan Katz. Jonathan carries around with him a little black Jack the Ripper's bag, and he can wield any kind of scalpel or scissors with the dexterity that he cuts the air with those chops. Chops is my defensive stroke. I see. But I know all these guys, all these players. Kind of a very sentimental journey for me to look through this. Yeah. Have you lost touch with the table tennis community? Well, it's weird. I have one very good friend who's ghosting me. Oh. And I had a table tennis girlfriend who's the only... uh, And, you know, we we were together for a couple of years. Hmm. And she had like a, a... you know uh, what they call an actress who has a backstage mother? Is that a stage, is that stage is it, mom? Yeah. She had a stage dad who was also a player, and he tortured her the way she played. He wanted more from her. Oh. But she became my girlfriend for a short period of time. Is it is it a good idea for players to date one another, or does the sport get in the way? Well, in our case, I don't think the sport got in the way. It was, it was the word love that got in the way. Oh, one of you felt it and the other didn't? Yeah. Which were you? I was the one who didn't, and I didn't want to say it because I didn't feel it. Mm. And she loved me. Did her table tennis dad need to see you play a match before he let you date his table tennis daughter? No. And he was a very violent guy. He would get in fights with people. This is a really interesting part of twist on the game of table tennis. There was a guy named Curtis Knight who played played penholder style. He was an African-American man. And he was also in a band with Jimi Hendrix in oh. Jimi Hendrix's first band. 
Oh. When Hendrix was a sort of a touring sideman. Yeah. Hmm. He played with Curtis Knight. Curtis Knight was the was I think was the lead singer and fronted the band. And also a competitive table tennis player. Yeah. How how long were you in the upper echelon of table tennis uh, players? When was your when was your heyday and, and how long did it last? It started in the sixties. I had made a real impact on the game. And then I stopped playing for a while. And then later in the seventies I started playing again and I, I even reached higher I reached can you say higher heights? Is that not a, that's not good English? Yeah, um, greater heights. Greater heights, thank you. Yeah, I could walk into any club in the country, table tennis club, and I know who could beat me and who couldn't. And it was very rare anyone in there who could beat me. I was in the top 20 for years. Hmm. Top 20 Americans. Hmm. What were the years and, and when did they end? They started in the, in the mid-70s and ended in the late 70s. Okay. What happened? College. Well, college again. Yeah. But I did win a tournament in... Uh, the most money I ever made was winning a tournament in Georgia, and I made enough money to pay for my bus fare back to New York. Hmm. So, so table tennis wasn't wasn't a way to make a living in in the United States. Had you been Swedish, it might have been a different proposition. Precisely. Hmm. Have you? Are you able to play recreationally? Were you able to ever just play for fun, or did it did it spark something in you? I think I played for fun when I was a teenager, hmm. and I would play my uncle Abe. In their basement. Do you still play? No, I can't play anymore. Why is that? You know, I, I, uh, I've been living with MS since 1997, mm. and my mobility is an issue. Mm. This is not only boring; it's sad. But you, you have all this knowledge. Do you? Um... Do you watch table tennis? Do you still follow the sport? Do you have enthusiasm for the young players? I do. I watch it on YouTube. If I go onto YouTube, I get fed a lot of table tennis. Mm. What made your defensive plays so hard to return? Well, initially it was just my ability to track, anticipate where the ball was going and to put a lot of underspin on it. And then it was a change in the technology of the surfaces. All of these new surfaces, the one I used was, I had Phantom on one side, and I had another surface on the other side. And, the, and there was a law in, enforced by the U.S. Table Tennis Association where if you're playing with different surfaces, they have to have different colors. Mm. So I'd have, a, I'd have a very fast surface, on one side and a very slow surface on the other side, and they had to be, one was red and one was black. How good of a table tennis player was David Mamet and is David Mamet today? Not that good. No? No. Uh, we're just about done here, but before we go, is 
young people are bound to be listening to this program. Uh, do you have advice for young players who want to make it as table tennis players? I would go into tennis. You can make a living in tennis. Or I would find an indulgent parent to send you to, to Sweden to, and you can play on a team and make a living. Okay. What what inspired you to keep going as a as a player instead of going off and doing something else? I just love the game so much. Okay. It just you know, as a as a young man, you get to be better at something than you're ever going to be at anything. Mm. And for me, it was table tennis. I was I'm never going to be as good at anything as I was at table tennis. Can you describe the feeling of winning that? Uh, New York championship? Oh, it was extraordinary. It was really, I beat a guy named Ralph Kamel, who was an Egyptian player. Mm. And I just liked the, I loved the wearing him down with my defense. Was there a big crowd? I don't know. How many people can Madison Square Garden accommodate? I want to say about 20,000. Yeah. This was in a gym in upstate New York. But I did one, I did give a lot of exhibitions as a table tennis player, sometimes in Chicago, sometimes in upstate New York. And that was fun. And I'd get to play with players who were much better than me. Marty Reisman, a guy named Sal Schiff. And there's some connection between Hungarian Jews and table tennis that I can't really explain. Hmm. There's a lot of them, huh? Yeah. Jonathan Katz, thanks for filling us in so much about table tennis and your association therein, and good night to you. Thank you for your willingness to listen, and it's such a pleasure meeting you, and have a good night. Well, sleepyheads, I hope you enjoyed learning about table tennis as much as I did. You know... One thing I like to do at the end of my day is make a mental catalog of things that I experienced and or learned. So, if you don't mind, I'm going to go ahead and make a list of takeaways from my conversation with Jonathan Katz right now, while it's still fresh in my mind. 1. Ping pong and table tennis are not the same sport according to table tennis enthusiasts. Two, but also, come on. Three, ping pong was originally created as a woman's parlor game called Whiff Waff. Four, if a table tennis player talks about their bat, they're referring to what Whiff Waff players call their paddle. Five, Jonathan Katz was a renowned athlete, which I did not know and which surprised me. And six, if you've ever beaten David Mamet in table tennis, it's possible you were the victim of Jonathan Katz's table tennis hustle. Okay. Oh, you know, I'm just going to turn in myself here. Get myself off to bed. Thank you for sleeping with me and Jonathan Katz. Be sure to follow Sleeping With Celebrities on both Twitter and TikTok with the handle 
at Sleep With Celebs. On Instagram, the handle is at Sleep W Celebs. Our email is sleepwithcelebs at maximumfun.org. Music has been provided by the Winterbowers. Promotional video assistance by Charlie Moe. This program was senior produced and edited by Laura Swisher. Swish. This is a production of Maximum Fun and Papa Chick. I'm John Moe. Night-night. MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist-owned. Audience-supported.